Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Sanderlanch podcast. I'm Jamie, and with me, as always, is... Joe, Dak, and Dina. And this week, we're covering Miss Bourne Book 2, The Well of Ascension, chapters 32, 33, and 34, wherein Set invites himself to live in Lutherdale. Doxon is up for Vin's test, and the results are inconclusive, but Vin now has a new theory on who the identity of the imposter there is a meeting of political book club filled with sass, Finn's relationship uncertainties and some new guy called Norden. Um, and to finish up, we have Zane's stunning reveal that he is Ellen's brother. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, it's some real days of our lives kind of action here. So settle in, everybody. The Sanderlanch is about to begin. Elders, tellers, keepers of the Bible, treasures of the dirt. Russian string, we swivel and sing and dig for the annals of the earth. And we try, try, try to keep a little beauty in the world. All that die, 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 we keep it in our hands. I like that you point out that we've got a new suspect for uh, who the traitor is because it was totally a suspect that someone here called. I think that was Dak. Yeah. So I I don't know if now that Vin calls it out, you're like, well, well, I must be wrong now that Vin said it or if uh, you're just feeling vindicated. So let's what do you guys think of these three chapters? Would you believe I feel both? (laughs) (laughs) I would believe that actually. Yeah. It is very satisfying as a reader when what you've already thought out, then the characters start thinking out in the same way that you've kind of thought about. Mm, Um, So I was like, oh, Dak's going to be so happy again. Chapters, good. They were good chapters. Lots and lots and lots of stuff happening, which is is really cool and something that we're we're pretty used to by now. I, I'm kind of over these chapters where they sit around with Ellen's thick books and giving each other sass. <laughs> like we, we've done so many of those now. I'm just like ah. Then they drop little bits in there and it's kind of worth it. But yeah, I, I we need to do something else at, at some point. But the first two chapters I really enjoyed. Vin and also are there great together i love that also i need the tic tac the horrible dog breath so well, yeah, that, that given was that he funny. eats rotten meat i think it shouldn't be a shocker i guess yeah yeah it's that's pretty bad yeah i, I would love to see in my head i can just see also and like the way he talks and everything and i just yeah I, I actually really love his character now he's he's really grown on me and yeah the first chapter with set as well i thought that was that was a pretty pretty good way to end the, the previous chapters that we looked at and to sort of pick up where we came off from from there was was good but to sort of see how they recover from that and yeah he's not what I expected he's he's really forward and just saying yep you know what I'm going to come into the city yes I'm pretty well threatening you or turning around promises and yeah I I don't really know what to make of him yet but there's just a lot of stuff in the air at the moment but a good read as always really enjoyed them you are not kidding that he is forward is a good word for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like Straff's just uh, an asshole. But no. Set is, I think he's probably more calculating. And it's like, you know what? I know perfectly well the position you're in. I, yep, this is how I'm going to say it. You know, I could sugarcoat it. I could do this. But you know what? This is where we are. So I was like, it's kind of refreshing, but at the same time, really terrifying that he's made his way into the city and the the people people of Lucidella are just stuck they they have nowhere 
no really other option at this point than to let him do what he wants to do because they know it's going to be just as bad if they if they go against him. So mm. tricky situation. These chapters were good. I, do, I really don't like Set. Uh, I don't really like anything about his. I don't like his vibe. I don't like the way he talks. I don't like his face. So you're still on board the with the kill him uh, policy? Yeah. No, I'm down. Uh, down with the killing for sure. Uh, yeah. I, he just. I. To be quite honest, I. I was bored by Set because I've seen his archetype before, and it's just at least the first impression that I got of him. And I just don't care about this guy at all. I. I want him to. Uh, to go away swiftly. I hope he's not like a continuing bad guy because I really don't. I really don't like anything he has said so far. As far as the rest of the chapters, pretty interesting stuff. I liked the conversation between her and Doxon, and uh, we'll get into it. But I feel I feel more strengthened than ever than uh, in my largest theory that I've had in the book so far. So, but we'll get to that. Yeah, the chapters were good. I agree. Set is just like. Wow, you're a lot to take in all at once. I don't, I don't know. I feel like we def- definitely have to see more. He just, at this stage, he just seems like the guy who just swans in and says, "Cool, I'm here. I'm in charge now." And like, there doesn't seem to be a lot of nuance to him aside from his family dramas that have cropped up. So I guess we'll have to just see how this plays out. At, for the moment, I don't really like him, and I also am on the all right, kill this dude. But obviously, that's not going to happen. So we'll have to see how that plays out. But yeah, I. The the Dachshund conversation and then the reveal of, or supposed reveal of Captain Demu. Yeah, when we got to that point, I'm just like, okay, could be him. It may not be him because it is very possible that Vin could just be like, oh, I found a suspect that isn't one of my friends. And now, now I'm going to latch onto this theory and hope for the best. Yeah. Um, so I was like, uh, that's still a distinct possibility. So it's like, I'm, I'm kind of glad to see that, you know, my idea paid off, but. It hasn't, yeah, it's it's still unconfirmed, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, let's, I guess let's get into, it's interesting, actually, I, before we even get started, I was going to note, I think that we're at a point now that I can reveal something about the book and how people see this particular book in this trilogy now that we're about halfway through. This book is really divisive, and not, I, I don't, I don't want to say that in that, in the people who like the Mistborn books, Nobody's nobody's really saying this is a bad book, but it's very divisive in that it's some people's favorite book of the trilogy and some people's least favorite book of the trilogy. And I haven't seen a lot of in between those two opinions because some people absolutely mostly it's down to what I think is probably around the middle third where we're most of the way through the middle third now where you guys have been saying, hey, we want to see some action. And really, it's kind of mostly politics. And some people really vibe on like the political machinations and the uh, the the back and forth and the plotting and stuff. And so this is their favorite book because there's all this amazing stuff, this amazing political like maneuvering going on. And some people are more on the side of, well, I just want to see some action. And this middle third kind of drags for them. And so it's interesting to see sort of the same thing coming out as we're talking about it. Well, the thing is, like, the political machination stuff is really good, but there hasn't really really been a lot to break it up. I mean, throughout the first book, you know, they had the heist plan and um, and everything else going on, but all the plots sort of, they, they had different little beats in between to break them up. Like, we were talking way back in the early days when Kelsia first attacked Keep Venture. Like, Sanders said, no, no, this is the point. I need to have an action scene in here because it's been too long without one, or, mm, like, this yeah. was the right spot. Um, whereas this book hasn't really had a lot of, all right, we're going to interrupt things in here. We've had a bit, like with the Zane and Vin dance 
fight scene that that cropped up but it just yeah i don't i don't think the action has been broken up with those specific beats that um the first book had so while the political the political stuff is still good but it's just very it's been a lot of that and not a lot of much else i guess we were t- i mean we all talked about how like our favorite parts of the early chapters were the seized and marsh road trip yeah and once that ended it's like all right cool uh what else is coming and it just doesn't seem like anything else has really filled that void yeah there's not a lot of variation at this point mm-hmm. yeah and and i mean and like dax says i don't think that the political stuff is bad it's just there are things i would rather be reading and what i mean by that is like maybe if the inquisitors and obligators maybe if that religion was trying to reform and be a part of the political discussion then i might be more interested and in a comparison i have with that which a lot of people don't like this game but i do in final fantasy 10 2 you've got this faction called new yevon and in the original final fantasy 10 game without getting into too much detail that was like the overarching religion of the entire world so it's a similar situation so you've got this faction new yevon that's vying for political power in in final fantasy 10 2 and it kind of makes it more interesting because they're not the same it's not exactly the same religion people they don't believe exactly the same things but they're vying for political their political agendas and it makes it it just adds another layer Whereas this, this is all about who controls the central dominance. Who's going to control it? Is it going to be Ellen? Is he going to keep control of it? Is it going to be Straff? Is it going to be Jastes? Is it going to be Set? And it's just like I don't. It, and and we've get we're we're getting all this information on on the on the periphery of the story that there is something going on out in the world that is so much more important than who's controlling the central dominance. It's almost like I'm reading a story, but the main the main plot is happening like not on page, and I'm just getting all this stuff that in in the grand scope of the story, I don't know if it's going to matter because there's something going on that's mm. way bigger than what's going on right now that we're reading. So I think that's part of the difficulty i'm having with this book is like i know something bigger on the horizon and is going on and i'm sure that what's going on in luthadel is going to play a part but i feel like it it's not i feel like we're focusing on the wrong thing in this book yeah it's sort of like i I feel like reading say a song of ice and fire the game of thrones you've got like the big war going on down in down in the seven kingdoms but every so often it's like throughout all of the books except for book four it cuts back to Jon snow up at the wall and looks at what he's dealing with up there and the fact that oh yeah there's this whole ice monster invasion that's coming so it's constantly in the back of your mind because it's constantly cutting up there that that is a thing that's coming whereas here it's like yeah like the 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 larger scale problems is consistently taking a back seat to to this other action it's like all right we we get that the you know the political stuff is important and you know again it's not bad but we're just not cutting away from it as much as we probably could i guess to look at what else is going on like i still don't know we still don't know what happened to marsh and that was like forever ago (laughs) that's true poor marsh he's vanished it's almost like by design that we we're gonna get I, i feel like if we were reading this just reading it straight through because of the way we read it, we do stop, we think about it, and we seem to almost always end on a political book club moment. And <laughs> so we, we, we sit and we focus on that a lot. But I feel like if we were just reading it, it's almost like it's designed to – we want to be wrapped up in the political thriller. We want to be focusing on all of these things because 
these other things that are happening, the mist monsters and and marsh and, and all this sort of stuff that we, we've heard about quite early on is just going to come and sort of smack us in the face at some point. So I feel like when it does come back into play, it's it's going to hit us hard. I just, I'm sort of getting frustrated with Ellen, you know, <laughs> every time Vin brings it up or, you know, he just shuts her down straight away and it's like, ah, listen to her just he's, he's, he's for like, a moment, right just hear her out. Yeah. And, and we're getting a bit more of that coming in. So I, I, we, we say this, you know, I don't think it'll be very long until we see that happening. And I mean, look, the title of the book is you know, The Well of Ascension, mm-hmm. where we're halfway through the book. So we really, we're going to have to either go there or have it addressed soon but you know maybe just yeah the way that we're reading it we we do focus on this a lot more and go yeah I want to see this and I want to see that because we're we're thinking more ahead than we would be thinking if we were just reading the book too sure yeah makes sense it also doesn't help like the blurb the synopsis on the back of the book makes it sound like the bulk of the book is going to be this sort of road trip to the well of ascension or something uh it where it just seems like like the 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 stuff in uh, Luther Dell like is really going to be contained at the start and then after and then like for the chunk of the bulk of the book afterwards it's just going to be all the craziness out out in the world and uh, that's really not what the tech what the text leans to yeah I don't think I've ever read the uh, the blurb on the back of the book for this one my I, I have these leather round copies that don't even have a blurb on the back so yeah it, it, I just I I read it only a couple of weeks ago, and it says like, oh, you know, they they have barely begun when se- when several separate armies attack, and as, and as the siege tightens, um, they have they have to look to other areas. I'm, par- I'm paraphrasing here to, to to resolve the problem, and I was like, that really makes it sound like that happens very early on. Maybe that's maybe I'm reading too much into that, but yeah, well, I guess anyway, that's oh, okay. So the reason that I even brought it up in the first place is just like. Full disclosure, I've always been in the camp that's like, this is my least favorite book of the trilogy. And if we're, if I was rating all of Brandon's books, it would probably be kind of bottom 50%. But that doesn't mean that I think it's a bad book. I enjoy this book a lot. I just, I I don't want it to seem like I'm uh, I'm down on it in, in some of the ways that I talk, but it's just, it's not my favorite of the trilogy. So that's yeah, kind of why it's I'm It's like a Pixar movie. A bad Pixar movie is still a good movie. This is true. Unless it's like Cars 2. I don't know that that qualifies. You know, I or never planes. saw that one. That wasn't Pixar. Oh, was it a DreamWorks? No, it was like... Uh, it wasn't Pixar and it wasn't Disney. It was like some other little studio that Disney or, or Pixar outsourced to and said, look, we, we don't want to make this. You guys make this one. And so they did. Huh. That's funny. Uh, produced by Disney Disney Toon Studios is what it says. I've never heard of Disney Toon Studios. Now we're going to find out what else they've done because now I'm curious. <laughs> oh my gosh, Disney Toon Studios has some awesome uh, like secondary Disney movies like DuckTales, Treasure of the Lost Lamp, The Return of Jafar, a Goofy movie. Yeah, those are all good. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's like they, they do all went of, wrong? Like, these old sequels and stuff like uh, Pocahontas 2, Lion King 2. Cinderella oh my God. 2. It was the Cinderella... No, no, not opening that one. <laughs> Dak, there was a Cinderella 3. Yeah, what? That one, that one is like the... Isn't that one where like time reverses or something and it changes the Yeah, and the stepsisters... Or... Yeah, the stepsisters marry the prince or something like that. It's... Yeah, it's... I, I didn't actually see it. I saw... Yeah, it's called Cinderella 3, A Twist in Time. They, Disney Toon Studios made that also. Time travel, man. 
<laughs> anyway, getting into the actual book that we're reading. <laughs> I took us on such a long diversion. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, so this podcast isn't about Disney movies? Oh, man. You know, that's... Uh, we Disney movies. Disney turn movies. Yeah, we'll watch some Disney Toon movies and discuss them. It'll be great. We'll do two in an episode. Oh, my God. (laughs) We start out with Quan's epigraph saying that basically the other world bringers never paid much attention to him because he wanted to study nature, and they apparently mostly study religion. So I guess the original world bringers are kind of like more like sazed than than Tindwill, but... He also there's an interesting note where he's like they don't know how they don't see how this benefits the people of the 14 lands, which is a new thing. I guess there were 14 lands at some point. And then we make it that. Yeah, I, I just a weird little note there. Mm. Uh, we finally meet Set, and Vin Vin is expecting I think what Joe was thinking at the end of the last episode. She's like ready for a fight immediately. It's like he didn't come alone. She's getting herself ready. He's got like 30 guards with him, and. Vin says he's not what I was expecting, and Breeze is like, oh, what, nobody told you he was crippled? Which does beg the question of, like, how he got into the city unseen. Yeah, you'd think that would be noticeable, right? Yeah. Well, if you I've... believe Vin's theory, he's not crippled. Yeah, that's that yeah, the next thing I asked you guys. Do you, do, you, do you subscribe to Vin's theory that it's a, a camouflage smokescreen to hide his misborn status? I, I feel like it probably is. I, my mind went straight to the prestige that had like you know the uh, the old magician who like pretended mm, to uh, be crippled yeah. of some kind just so he like he could do the trick with the fishbowl full of water. And I thought, oh, okay, sets the magician. He's got a fishbowl under there. Yep, yep. It, it's a possibility. I, I'm not going to completely discount Ben's theory, but I don't really think it's necessary um, for for what he's particularly trying to do here. Okay. I think it's a bit of a long play, especially if he was crippled since he was a child. You know, unless, you know, he snapped and went, I know, <laughs> I'll pretend to be crippled now. <laughs> like, that's just, it's a really, really long, long play. But I think it would be almost more terrifying for him to not be Mistborn and be as powerful at this point. You know, they've had a very powerful Mistborn leader for so long. So if he wasn't, you know, I think that's just as scary. The alternative could be he's both. He could be crippled and a Mistborn. I mean, you don't need legs uh, to um, well, push and pull yourself around true. the place. It might make land. It might make landing kind of hard, but like mm-hmm. it's still possible. Could you imagine him, like in a wheelchair or something, pushing and pulling himself? Like it'd probably be easier. Oh my god, <laughs> that's terrifying! Like a wheelchair flying through the night. Yeah. That's... <laughs> you don't want to get hit with that. <sighs> but this guy is—he's—he's uh, he's direct and. Kind of, and also sarcastic, I guess. Like when Penrod's like, do you want to address the assembly? He's like, I thought I already was. And then here's Penrod mutter about Western noblemen. <laughs> so they're, they're they're kind of stuck up in Luthadel is what we're learning here about their uh, the other outsiders. And uh, so Set just starts going off. He's like, uh, you should vote for me because I have an army out there and we're going to take over the city if you don't. And when Ellen tries to say stuff, he's just like, he calls him out on it. And then Penrod jumps in and says, you're a tyrant. And Seth's like, uh-huh, and? What's your point? That's why I'm here with my army, yes. I also like that he's given his troops orders to attack if he uh, doesn't come back, he says. And he's like, you know, they'll probably get destroyed, but I won't care at that point because I'll be dead. So 
He doesn't care about his army particularly, if you believe this. Well, he just admitted to being a tyrant, so... Yeah, that's fair. And uh, he reveals uh, that the Coloss are on their way, which apparently Ellen had elected not to mention. So that's a problem. And he tells them that he's going to give everyone on the Assembly titles if they don't already have titles. And that's why the Assembly should choose him as the king. So he's just really outright bribing people. It's no subtlety at all. He's like, I will bribe all of you with lots of money and importantness if you vote for me. Solid way to start being a king (laughs) in the central dominance. Yeah, it reminds me of, have you guys... I know Data doesn't really watch The Office. Did you guys ever watch the American version of The Office? Uh, I haven't seen it. I've seen a few episodes in passing, but never sat down and watched it. Yeah. There's a a British comedian that guest stars on the show, and um, during one of the episodes that she's guest starring, she basically, like the the manager is being played by Ed Helms at that time of The Office, and he's, he's gone. He's gone to Florida to chase after this girl, but he didn't tell anybody. And so this British comedian who is playing uh, a character who was like in charge of special projects for the company. She just shows up, notices that his office is empty and just like sits down. It's like, I'm the manager now. And uh, she basically bribes all the office with raises so that they will accept her as the new manager. So it really reminded me of that Um, episode of the office. It's pretty funny. Yeah, that works. Yeah, no, I'd probably take that. (laughs) What Ellen calls him out and says, yeah, bribes. And so it's like, uh huh. Bribes. For everyone, the foremost being that you will have peace. It really just—he's—I'm getting a bit of a Mr. Burns vibe out of this. He's like, "Yes, yes, uh, I will bribe the populace to accept me." Come <laughs> to it, Smithers. <laughs> Maybe I could see that. I think he's a bit more bombastic than Burns most of the time, but okay. Yeah, he's just—he—he—he he, he seems about as blunt and. Uh, Burns never really hid his uh, villainy, so I feel like Seth's just doing the same thing here. That's fair. And I don't know that they've mentioned yet, and we talked about last time, like, have they told us how the voting for president works, or President King? And I don't (laughs) think, I think they still haven't explicitly said this is how the voting works at this point. But from the way he's talking, it sounds like the Assembly are the ones who pick the king. Because he's like, I'm going to bribe you guys to choose me. So it doesn't sound like this is like a popular election or anything like that. And uh, he says that he wants to come and stay here for a week until they're ready to make their decision. And he wants to bring, you know, just a few men to keep himself, make himself feel safe, maybe 5,000 or so. (laughs) And they're like, "Uh, no, you cannot have 5,000 people in our city. That's ridiculous. And so they let him come in with 1,000 troops, which is just so much better. It's still a lot of people. Yeah. (laughs) 19 of the assemblymen raised their hands for that out of what is 24, I guess, because there's eight of each. So that is a vast majority. Is it 24 or 25, including Elland? I think it's 24, because Elland is one of the uh, the noble party. Okay. Because he said he, he accepted that appointment outside of being king, just to also be on the assembly. So That's right, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then Ellen goes home thinking, like, oh, this is bad. Like, I, you know, I thought Penrod would be a challenge, Philan maybe some of a challenge, but this is not good. And Penrod's actually not, uh, he seems like a nice enough guy. He tells Ellen, he's like, you're a good man, but you've always been an idealist and, you know, studying books and philosophy, but I know people better than you, and they're all terrified. They may well turn this city over to this guy. And Penrod even says, if you have to choose, 
between Straff and Set, then Set is the way that I would choose. Yeah, but Penrod's also a bit biased in that because like he's definitely one of the better noblemen we've come across, but he's still a nobleman who mm. wasn't too thrilled with the changing of the world order, and Set just openly admitted, "Cool, all right, we'll sort this out. And we'll go back to the way things were before all this bullshit happened." Yep. So that's that's probably a not a deal breaker for Penrod in the way it is for Elland. Yeah, we didn't even mention that, but Set just came out and said, he's like, oh no, we're going back to normal. Noblemen will rule. The Scar will be slaves. That's how it will be. Except for, I guess, the eight Scar who managed to be on the assembly. He's like, you guys get titles, so. All you gotta do is sell out your people. Yep. And Ellen thinks back and remembers a section of the book, or of the books that he's read, where it's like, these people who broke away from the final empire, by the time the the Lord Ruler's army showed up, they were ready to come back already. Because, uh, the chaos of transition is more difficult to accept than the tyranny they had known before. Change is tough. It's like moving. You don't want to move. Even if you know you're moving into like a nicer place, it's just not fun. Yep. And I like just how certain Vin is. She's like, well, we know he's Mistborn. Look at him. He can't, he acts like he can't walk. That has got to be covering up something. <laughs> just, oh, I love Vin and her confidence. Yeah. I wanted to like, do a big Lebowski and big Lebowski, like throw him exactly. out of a chair. <laughs> <laughs> Be like, I've seen a lot of spinals. This guy's fake and he can walk. And uh, I've never been so sure anything in my life. <laughs> he just throws him out of the chair. He's like, oh, we're so this sorry. This is played by John Goodman. Yep, that's that's unexpected casting, but I'm behind it. I'm 100%. <laughs> See, I was just thinking of, I think it was an episode of The Mentalist. And there was a guy in a wheelchair, and he was like, yeah, yeah, no, this guy, he can walk, because he'd been looking at the bottom of his shoes, and was like, if he couldn't walk, why his why his shoes scuffed? Mm-hmm. It's like, I was hoping that Vin was just sort of, like, sneakily, I don't know, taking a peek at his shoes or something. He was like, yeah, we know he can walk. <laughs> it's like, how do, you, how do you know? How do you know he can walk? So. I feel like there's a Sherlock Holmes story where he does that, where he, like, sees the bottom of the guy's shoes and figures out that he can walk. Maybe. yeah. Yeah. It probably is. The Mentalist probably stole it. <laughs> probably, yeah. <laughs> I've never actually watched The Mentalist, but I used to watch Psych all the time, and they make fun of The Mentalist for ripping them off, so that's all that I know <laughs> oh, about shit, The Mentalist. Really? Yeah. Anyway, so Set's son shows up, and he's like, hey, so when do you guys want to come by and talk to my dad? And Ellen's like, uh, yeah, I'm not interested in his bribes, so go away. And the kid's like, well, but shouldn't we talk about my sister, the one that you kidnapped? And Ellen's just like, come on. Seriously, we're going to play that. And eventually Ellen agrees. He's like, fine. So he's going to have dinner with Set in a week. We're definitely going to get this guy's name. Oh, uh, Mjornin? I don't know. I have no (laughs) idea how to pronounce this name. Meow, meow? Meow, meow. (laughs) (laughs) Now his name is going to be meow, meow in my head, and it is all your fault. Mjornin. Mjornin. I don't know. I, we seriously have gone like uh, like Norse with this name. I feel like. Yeah, I was gonna say it's like I was gonna make a joke about how Spook must have named this guy, but then I realized no, I'm gonna <laughs> say that, and then I'm gonna find out it's actually a real name in some Nordic culture or something. Now we're gonna have to look this up. Hold on, I'm gonna Google it. Njorden. Uh, Njorden set is the first five results that come up, so I'm guessing that uh, he's not in anything. That's not a name from anything else. At least not a popular What's... one. What's Seth's first name? Ashweather. Ashweather. At least that sounds like a real name as opposed to Njornden and Alrian. 
Well, you guys made fun of Ash weather when it first started out. Because you're like, what, if somebody just look outside and be like, there's Ash, that's the weather. Yeah, he, like when he, when he was naming his kids, he could have just at least kept kept with the theme song. It's gone, this is my son, Cloudy Sky, and and this and this is my daughter, um, uh, uh, Smoky Chimney. No, Smoky that's not right. Chimney? <laughs> I got away Disregard, from weather there. Disregard, disregard. I'll think of something later. Be like, Mist. I'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning and just go, ah, oh, that's a better one. Her name is Mist. Her name is Miss Mist. Uh, so we move into the next chapter and uh this is stuff that we've read already actually it's like as as the one who found lendy i became someone important we we read that one saves was reading this earlier so we're retreading old ground here a little bit and we get vin just laying on her stomach thinking about the deepness and uh she's kind of annoyed at prophecies and such and so when orser asks her he's like hey what's up She's just like, man, what is even the point? Shouldn't religions be practical? This is this is some bull. And she has what I think is a really interesting conversation with Orsur about religion and prophecies. Uh, like, he, he gets on to her. Like, you shouldn't dismiss other people's beliefs. And she's like, you sound like sazed. Which is fair. That That is something that sazed would say. She says that she feels like prophecies are a scam. Or at least part of her does. The part that is always expecting a scam of some sort. And she kind of infers from the way Orster is talking that the uh, the Conjurer also have a religion and even prophecies. That's that in the conversation where she mentions that uh, Orster is a person, if one with dog breath. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he grins and is like, you chose these bones. You have to deal with the consequences. Ha ha ha. Oh, and she even mentions, which I didn't remember, but she's like, I think uh, the fact that you're eating carry on is not helping. Which, yeah. So apparently she was monitoring as Set's army came in. And she's even like, I knew that he wouldn't travel light. He's all Rianne's father. Like, you know that he <laughs> likes to travel in comfort. And I believe that. If you can't walk, you at least want to be sitting on something comfy, right? And she... They start talking about these uh, Conjure religion and Conjure prophecies, and he doesn't really want to get into it. And she's kind of like, they have to do with overthrowing us, don't they? And he says that we don't kill you. But uh, the stories say that you kill yourselves off, and then we kind of inherit the Earth. Or the world. It's not Earth. They kill themselves off using the Coloss as their pawns. And there's actually an interesting note in here where he says, uh, the stories say you kill yourselves off. You are of ruin, with a capital R, after all, while the Chandra are of preservation, with a capital P. Yeah, that was... Out of everything we read, this was by far the most interesting and at the same time frustrating because he says that <laughs> that's not a normal thing to say. And then Vin totally glosses over it. Like doesn't <laughs> ask any questions, right? doesn't pick up on the, the fact that those are weird words to say. Uh, <laughs> so we've got capital letters for preservation and ruin. And something tells me that's going to play a big role in the future. You think so? Interesting. Okay. I just, I don't know why he would have, it was like when we saw the words Chandra in the last book and we didn't know what Chandra were yet. It's like, it was just really fast and really quick. And then it, and then it was a big, and now it's a big deal. I feel like it's going to be the same with this. It's like, and I can't tell you how frustrated I was with Vin at this point, because I'm like, she's literally trying to get information out of him. She's asking him questions. He just said something that, no one has ever said before in this book 
and we're just supposed to be like, oh yeah, uh, yeah, you know, then I'm not even gonna pay attention to those two words you just used. She kind of latches onto the Coloss thing, which is a more immediate concern for her, probably, since there's an army of Coloss on the way. But uh, so you think that this, whatever the Conjure religion is, the only other religion to have survived for all of these centuries, apparently, uh, may be relevant in some way. Hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, and he's he's right. She's naturally very inquisitive and curious, and when she hears something, she she will generally latch onto it. So. So it's, yeah, it's surprising that she didn't yeah. go for it here. It's like, this is that bloody ninth metal again, right? I mean, this like I keep saying, she's like the Harry Potter of the piece, right? And when Harry hears something new, he's like, "Wait, what is that?" But but here, Vin just you know totally disregards it. You're not wrong. She definitely doesn't talk about that. But because like I said, she latches onto the Coloss thing, where he's like, she's like, well, "Wait, so you sound sorry for the Coloss?" He's like, "Well, yeah, the Chandra think well of the Coloss." There's a bond between us. We both understand what it is to be slaves. We're both outsiders to the culture of the final empire. We both. And then he wants to stop talking about that. So Which what else are they both? Because <laughs> well, at first glance, there is like nothing alike about Kolos and Kandra. Like, like, like yeah, Kandra are able to hide among the humans. Kolos are never going to be able to hide. Uh, Kandra appear to be more subtle. Like they can never kill a person. Whereas the Kolos, you know, that seems to be their bread and butter. I don't know, maybe he was going to say we both start with the letter K. <laughs> that, that must have been it, really. I hope so. Yep. That's the part that he's like, oh, I better not reveal that secret. <laughs> All this time, I thought it was Kolos with a hard C. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she, she lets it go. She's like, okay, you know, you want to keep your secrets. Everyone needs secrets. That's cool. Which is how you react when your friend wants to keep a secret. It's fine. Their relationship has really changed a lot by this point. Yeah. And then we move over to Ellen, who has been brought in because a bunch of people are getting sick in the same area. And he's like, oh, did you tell the assembly about this? And they're like, well, no, we figured that you, because he's the king. They, I don't know that the regular people are really, uh, can wrap their head around the fact that this guy was king, but now he's not anymore. That's not how things worked in the final empire. And they decide that the wells have been poisoned. And they're wondering who might have done this. We watched uh, Color Out of Space last <laughs> night. And then this morning when yeah. Jamie was just like flicking, out, flicking over the chapters again, she's like, okay, poisoned well. This is, like, I was starting to think of like that weird color at the bottom of the well in that movie and how it fucked everything up. <laughs> it's like, any moment now, Nick Cage is going to bust in with a shotgun and start screaming. That would definitely be a change. <laughs> I'd pay to put that in this book sure nick cage hey, maybe ash like play, played by nick cage oh he totally could be nick cage is like a, a paraplegic that's awesome he's like i thought i was already addressed in the assembly <laughs> <laughs> gosh you so you're gonna bribe us <laughs> yeah so <laughs> you sound like keanu at, at, at some point in there yeah <laughs> yeah you're right i'm i'm like keanu doing nicholas cage yeah <laughs> Oh, uh, so any any theories anyway. about who was poisoning the wells? Uh, Ellen and Ham basically theorized that anybody could be doing it at this point. So what do you guys think is poisoning the wells? My initial thought was like, all right, two of the enemies are now in the city. So this is like prime time for uh, Straff to send Zane in to start poisoning the wells. And, you know, two birds, one stone the thing. Mm. Yeah. And as he points out, a Mistborn could easily come in here and do that. 
It would not be hard. It's Gimmel. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to it. Okay. And I, I was going to jump into the... I actually missed something I was going to read in the annotations from last chapter, so I'll go back to that in a minute. But Brandon says in the annotations that the Poison Well scene is another one that was added during the final draft of the book. Much like Straff's test attack on the walls, it's here to remind you that the armies are out there, that Luthadel's under siege, and that things are not going well. I don't want you to forget about the armies just because our focus is on politics for the moment. So he apparently added several scenes there towards the end of uh, his drafts of the book to remind us to keep bringing back into the forefront of our mind that, oh, by the way, there's a war happening and the city is under siege. Uh, but what I forgot last time was about Set and when he and his when he and him and Ellen are talking in the assembly. And Brandon says, Ellen does need to learn a few things still. To be truthful, I think he's too honest to be a king. There are times when, as a king, I think you need to lie in order to comfort your people. You don't tell a dying man that he has no hope for survival. You don't let a man like Set bully you into admitting that your Alamancer has been manipulating the audience, which we didn't talk about, but there's the moment where Set's like, hey, tell us, have mm. you had your man Breeze up here, like, soothing these people? And Vince's like, say no, say no, say no. And Ellen's like, yes. Uh, so... He's a little honest. Maybe too honest to be king. I don't know. What do you guys think? A, 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 a little honest? He's a lot <laughs> honest. Yeah, no, that's fair. Is he too honest of a man to be the king? Does a king need to lie to people sometimes? Maybe that's an important question. Yeah, I mean, in this particular situation, he probably shouldn't have said that. But I feel like even if he had said no then that just makes him out to be a liar. Whereas even though he said yes, like he's an honest person. Mm. So, you know, even, even if he'd said no, everyone would just know that he's lying and he's doing it anyway. Definitely anyone who knows Reese knows that he's always doing that anyway. Exactly. So at least this way, Ellen can walk away with his head held high going, you know what, I told the truth. I was asked and I was told. Like I told the truth. So That's true. Yeah, I think I think you do need a certain level of that, and I mean I think he does that though in in the chapter when he's talking about the the well, when he's like he could have gone, oh look I'm not your king, that's not my my problem, but he's just gone, yep okay, like you're having a hard time, I know this is the one, I'm just gonna have to wear it. Not that he lied about it, but he just didn't fight the truth, yeah. I guess. He, he's so, he's gonna help them and not make an argument about whether or not he's king. Exactly. So. I don't know. It's a skill he probably could learn. He's probably a little bit too forthcoming with the truth sometimes, but it's refreshingly different, I guess, for, for what they've had. That's probably true. I was about to, I'm, I'm trying to think, like, the Lord Ruler did lie about lots of stuff, so I was about to say, he was so powerful, he probably didn't have the need to lie personally about stuff, but just his whole, like, religion was a lie about things, probably, mm. so... Okay. We move th this chapter kind of jumps several times. We move into Vin and kind of a discussion of Doxon as she's considering whether or not he might be the traitor, which was one of uh, which was, uh, Jamie's earliest theory about who the traitor might be was Doxon, who the conjurer yeah. might be. And so she comes up and kind of has a conversation with him. <laughs> she she thinks at one point. I'm sorry before she even really gets into it, she thinks. Would, an, would one conjurer be able to recognize another one in a dog's body? No, that couldn't be. Otherwise, Orser could find the imposter for her. So she's not asking this question, which we've asked several times, I think, is could a conjurer recognize another one? She just assumes that no, it couldn't. I'd be really annoyed if we found out later on that that's, that could be it. 
and that also knew the whole time. But if they could, then Joe might be right. And it also is the Chandra and also knows he's got nothing to worry about. That's true. It would be annoying if he kept that secret, but yeah, that's an interesting thought. But anyway, she she's she's going to have a, a conversation with Doxon and try to suss out whether, you know, he knows like the secret things that they talked about. Although she's only ever had one like deep conversation with Doxon. And so that's the only one that she can talk to him about. And Brandon mentions this in the annotations where he's like, the Dachshund scene is one of my favorites in the book. I'm a little bit sad that Dachshund, like Ham, doesn't have much time for development here. In book one, he only got a single good scene, the one that Vin is referencing here, uh, where we we really got a good look at his personal personality and inner demons. And those come up again in this scene. He's a good character, Dachshund is, but the only thing I can give him is one powerful scene per book. At least he gets one. Ham and clubs didn't even always get that. Because I guess, yeah, we didn't really have a good scene with clubs in the last book, did we? Nope. No. I was waiting. <laughs> but she's trying to bring up this conversation without telling him what it was about, to see if he remembers it. And he seems to. And they have kind of a nice moment where he says that he doesn't feel the same way anymore that he did back when uh, they had the conversation in the last book. He's like, maybe all the nobility aren't monsters, like we thought. And uh, he's like, this is about Ellen, isn't it? I know you wish we could get along better, but I think we're doing pretty well. And he's not wrong when he says that Ellen has some faults as a leader, like lacking boldness and presence, which Kelsier had uh, those things in spades. He says that they hated the nobility for taking things from them, Doxon's love, Kelsier's mother. (laughs) And we put one of them on the throne. I can't help but think that Kel would be angry with me for letting him rule. And then they revisit the fact that uh, Kelsier saved Elland during the fight at the end with the Inquisitor. And Doxon has kind of a really touching thing where he's just like, if I, it's hard for him to accept that they could be good men because that means that the things that we did to them made us the monsters, basically. I thought just that was such a raw, yeah. raw moment. Between like for Doxon, but between him and Vin as well, I can completely get why Vin's like, oh, it's definitely not him, because it's just it's just so like heartfelt, and you know this is why he can't. He goes, yeah, Ellen might be a good person, but I can't just give up on that because I'm a horrible person. Yeah, I mean, it really makes you feel for Doxon, which he hasn't had much Mm -hmm. to do to do this book, and so we finally get a moment to sit down with him and it's like, Oh wow, this is heavy stuff. Yeah. It's like, even through the first book, it's like, yeah, he only really had like the one big scene, but he was always there and saying stuff. Whereas in this one, I feel like he's been much more relegated to the background. So yeah, it's an interesting touch to show why, but I also got the impression that this is something he wouldn't tell anyone else. I get the feeling like this is something he would talk to Kelsier about maybe, but not really anyone else. So I think the, the fact that he's even said it to Vin says a lot about how he thinks of her, even though like they don't spend a lot of time together. Hmm. You're For some reason, right. I got the impression this is not the sort of thing he would say. Say he he wouldn't say this to Breeze or to Clubs or to Ham. For uh, for some reason, I get the feeling that this is something that he would keep he would keep to himself and Kelsia only. And then the fact that he said it to Vin struck me a bit. So. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but yeah. It, it probably says a lot for how he sees their relationship. That's a really good point. It is sad because this 
there's so much depth to this character that comes out in like these two scenes and these two books that we've gotten so far. And it's like, you really want to get to know him more at the, at these points. That's it. Like he was one of my favorites throughout the first book. And like, I've been disappointed at how little he's been in this one. So yeah, yeah I, I, I want more Doxon. He, he, he goes on to say, he's like, I, I find little joy in this government because I know what we did to create it, but I still lie awake at night quietly satisfied for what we did to our former rulers. Their god dead, their society undermined, now they know. There's still some anger there. And uh, except that after he says that, he looks down as if ashamed. Yeah, there's a lot of depth to this guy that we don't get to investigate much. Not yet, anyway. And yeah, I agree with Vin. Uh, or I see Vin's point, at least, also. That it's like, no, that can't be. This cannot be fake. And honestly, if you're going to impersonate Dachshund, would you really claim to have had such a radical shift in how you view stuff or would you just try to be old dachshund basically yeah and i think in this next section where she's discussing it with orser and he's coming back like well i don't know mistress like you don't understand we really research these people thoroughly you know you may not be giving my kind enough credit like this is the turn for me where i'm like okay now i'm like like I was maybe 80, 75 to 80% sure that my theory was right. Now I'm like 90%. This is him deflecting. Mm. He, like he's saying, well, you know, I don't know because he's realizing that she's running out of people to investigate. And we get the demo thing here in just a second, but I, I honestly think that, that he's getting, at this point, this is Orser being nervous and deflecting because he's like, well, she thought he was the most likely candidate. And now she's ruling him out. Like, what's what does that mean? Like, I'm going to mm-hmm. get caught. So you don't think it really holds much weight when he's like, we try to learn these private conversations and secrets so that we can mention them at the appropriate time. Yeah, I mean, I get that. I get what he's saying. He's saying they're very good at what they do, but I just don't. For for the same reason that I don't believe it's it's Demu, and we'll get into that in a second, I believe that that is not. I believe that is a deflection and an excuse for her for her to to keep suspecting him, because I really like you say like why would the why would the Chandra claim to have changed when he doesn't really need to? He could just say. You know, Vin, I understand, but I don't think, you know, I don't think, I still feel the same way that I did. Nobleman ain't shit. Right. Got it. Yeah. And maybe it's because he wants to be closer to Vin so he can get information out of her if he is the spy, but I just don't see it. Like, the more I think about it, the more I feel like this, that that it's been Orser the whole time. That's fair. There is one kind of downer moment in his talk, though, where he's like, and I, I didn't want to mention this. But usually, our master who does the killing, they uh, torture the victim for information first, which might go some ways to explaining, because uh, we talked about we've talked about previously how to try to impersonate these people well, the conjurer would have to be watching them or getting to know them really well. And that's kind of what he says here is they try to watch them for a good long time and have lots of conversations if possible so they can learn all this stuff. But there's also torture just, you know, to help out. I do feel though that this is this is an incredibly personal moment. Like I get that the Kandra are good at what they do, but this 
particular conversation that they're referencing to was a very, very long time ago. And I feel like it's probably a little too specific to know, like how how would a Kandra be able to cover so many very specific, not widely known things about a person, especially because they are referring to a very specific conversation. Right. I just and yeah. one and one that she doesn't even bring up because she's smart enough to let him bring it up. Let him lead the way right? exactly. Yep. Yeah, all she says was like that talk that we had about your childhood, and then she's like, "Do you still feel the same way?" And she lets him respond to what he does or doesn't feel the same way about. So that would be some some deep, a really deep cut if somebody managed to get Docs and talk about that one conversation from a long time ago with Vin. But Vin does not like having suspect her friends, which I don't blame her for. She's she she just learned to trust people, and now she has to distrust them again. Like her gut feelings. Yeah. It's always gut feelings with Vin, right? Yep. That's how she knows sets of Mistborn. <laughs> <laughs> and Orser is like, wait a second, you're you're serious about not wanting to distrust your friends? Really? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> He's like, I don't want to be insulting. I just, I really didn't think that humans had that kind of uh, capacity for trust, which just tells you about the kind of people he's worked for. Yep. Although Kelsier trusted people pretty well, to be fair. So his last contract, although Kelsier was just weird in lots of ways, so maybe that didn't even crack the the top ten list of ways in which his last master was weird. Yeah, I mean, if it if it was truly <laughs> Orser, Kelsier may have been good to his friends, but he may not have seen the Chondra that way. He may have just seen the Chondra as a tool because that's how the nobility taught him to view Chondra, right? Mm, so That's true, too. If it really was Orser, not saying that Kelsier tortured him or beat him like other masters had, but then that just makes me feel like it's not Orser, right? Because, because do we really think – like, yeah, Kelsier did some stuff that we didn't agree with in the last book, but we don't really think that he would have treated the Contra that badly. Um, no, probably not So that badly. Yeah. I mean, he, he might not have been considerate of him or had conversations with him because he didn't right. consider him. But you wouldn't think that he'd go be going out of his way to like be mean to him. He exactly. Exactly. So that makes me think even more. It's like, well, was Kelsier really your last master, or are you talking about a different last master? I don't think he mentions his last master. No, I know. I'm just. Uh, but that's the. Yeah. But the point I'm making is he talks about his previous masters, you know, beating him or whatever. Well, and then we get to an interesting point where she's like, "Hey, are you going to know this person, this Condra, rather?" And he's like, oh, yeah, there's not that many of us. I probably know them really well, actually. We meet for brunch every week. <laughs> so, nice bone stew. If it's not Orsor, and there is another one out here, that might be an awkward uh, reunion when they get uh, when they meet up. If they meet up. <laughs> Jeff, hey, how you doing? Uh, you know, poisoning wells. <laughs> <laughs> Although maybe that speaks to Joe's theory also. Like, if he knew this other conjurer really well, and this wasn't him, would... Would other Chandra have killed somebody that he knew that well to impersonate him? Or maybe there's some other way that he could have gotten him out of the way? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. The contract is life, man. (laughs) (laughs) And so she decides that they're going to cross Doxen off the list for now, but if they run out of other leads, they'll circle back. That's probably fair. But that's when she spots somebody walking out in the darkness, in the mists, and she follows him, picks up Orsor. She's like, in my arms, and then jumps out. And it is Captain Demu walking around out there. And she's like, hold on. If I was going to replace someone, I wouldn't pick an Alamancer for sure. 
makes them too easy to spot, or someone who would have to make decisions or, and attract notice. Somebody close to the crew, but not necessarily on it. Someone near important meetings, etc. And she realizes, man, Demu would be a perfect candidate to replace. All the same logic the Dak had when he was like, hey, it might be Demu. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And I was like, oh, I'm glad we're, like, you know, we're thinking on the same page here. I do think it's a bit convenient that right after saying, all right, it's not like we're going to cross this person off the list. Hey, what's that over there? Is that the imposter? And I'm like, that was <laughs> a, bit, a bit sudden. Yeah. But, you know, the, like the, the logic all makes sense. And like, I'm still I, at this stage, I still think it probably is him. I think Vin is sort of looking for an excuse for it to not be one of her friends. But like that doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean that her logic is incorrect. So, so here's here's where I'm going to disagree and interject that her logic is incorrect because okay. she says she makes mention at least once, maybe twice, that he looks around nervously, like he's doing something he shouldn't be doing, and I'm like, okay, a real conjurer wouldn't do that. A real conjurer wouldn't be wandering around looking and feeling mm-hmm. nervous mm-hmm. they would be confident enough in their portrayal of whoever it is that they're portraying that they're not going to walk around in a nervous state they're just going to go and do whatever they need to do because they're going to own it and they're going to feel like they own it and they're going to do what they and they're going to do their job that is i think the error in her logic here i don't think if it was the real conjurer that he would show nervousness even if he was by himself that's a good point I really, yeah, I really just don't think that that's what's going on. So what it made me think of is Demo is doing something that he's not supposed to be doing, or that he's embarrassed about doing, and he doesn't want anybody to know about it. But it is really him doing it. And the first thing that popped in my head is like, you know, he's having sex with Alrian or something like that. Something crazy, <laughs> you know, something goofy that he's not supposed to be doing, but he's doing it anyway. Or he might be involved in some kind of underground secret society or something that he's he's also not sure about how people would react or or whatever but i don't think i don't think her logic is right in that he's the conjurer just because he's walking around nervously because i just don't see that as being something that a conjurer would actually do when they're impersonating somebody secret mist cult yep, that's, that's valid with human sacrifices got it now while you're talking about that I had, I had to go back and read and he walks out and says hi to the people at the guard post and stuff. And Vin says, you know, he speaks to the guards. He's not sneaking out. And yet she recognized the stooped posture, the nervous movements. He'd been nervous about something. So she's reading like nervousness. He's not looking around nervously necessarily. She's reading like in his body language, maybe some nervousness, but nervousness that he's not showing enough to like not say hi to. So it's like subtle nervousness, which I don't think speaks quite as loudly as you were saying, but I, I I still see your point there. All right, here's an alternate theory then. Captain Damu is one of uh, Straff's other children who's going to be in this dirty dozen of uh, mistings. Ooh, that would make some of the stuff from the last book kind of weird, but okay. I'm I I still it. like yeah. the having an affair with Ariane better, but that is good. That, that's <laughs> also pretty good. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, we, we got some conflicting in, uh, thoughts on Demu. I mean, we are now only 51% of the way through the book, so if she's found the spy, then uh, well, there might be a reason for that too. Uh, yeah, I, mean, she, she I was about to say, the whole certain. book is the spy? She, she is certain <laughs> here at the end. She's like, that's him. He's the spy. 
but what do I do about it? So we're we're back to Vin being instinct, like I'm right. This is the guy. Yeah. But I, I agree with Dak that I think uh, there's probably a large portion of that that is her being like, I don't want I want a reason that I don't have to suspect my friends. And I don't know this guy, so screw him. I mean, she knows him a little bit. Yeah, it's like Jamie was saying earlier, it's like, you know, it's very gratifying when the characters start thinking like you do after you've already thought. It's like, that's really cool. But then if it, that turns out that you're wrong anyway, and then the characters are wrong, that makes it worse, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> you're only thinking one step ahead. You're going to be two steps ahead. Come on. I'll be whatever I want to do. <laughs> so our final epigraph is uh, still something that we read before about how Quan had a place in the prophecy. He is the announcer, the prophet foretold to discover the hero. And he did not want to renounce his new position, so he did not reveal that he had doubts about Alindi. He really wants to just stand next to the well and yell, let's get ready to rumble. <laughs> I think that's where your mind goes when you say announcer. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get into the, uh, the, the chapter that Jamie mentioned, uh, not being her favorite at this point, is... Uh, the library chapter basically everyone's sitting around reading thick books and we have our new friend norden who uh was an obligator and is now just a scholar working with ellen he's renounced his beliefs in the steel ministry apparently and this guy is like dorkier than ellen even it seems like in some ways like he's very bookish which I like having that character in there. I like the, 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 the book guy. And Ellen is getting away from being the book guy, so we need a new book guy, I feel like. <laughs> and they've discovered that Set was secretly more active in Luthadel than he wanted people to know. Which, okay. I don't know why that's relevant. but Except that Ellen infers that he's better at this political game than he wants people to believe. He acts all outlandish and loud and not subtle at all, but he has some ability to be subtle and manipulative. Perfect for Nick Cage. Ah, sure. <laughs> he's he's all sorts of subtle, right? I saw The Rock. I know. So live in Las Vegas. <laughs> Lord of War. It's a good one. So many drugs. Anyway. <laughs> I love that Norton just busts out. And he's like, man, you guys should have seen the looks on your faces yesterday when Set revealed himself. Man, it was great. And I was like, dude, that's not the time. <laughs> shut your... Yeah, he's like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but they brought Sazed into the book club to try to find something in the law that they could exploit. And Sazed is like, no, you, you, you did too good a job, man. There's nothing in here like that. Doxon's out writing letters while everyone, well, these, these guys are all researching stuff. And Norton's like, hey, why don't we just let Set have the throne? And Ellen manages to convince him that uh, by being like, how do you think Set's going to treat our laws that you really like how good they are and the people? And Norton's like, oh, yeah, he doesn't really roll by law. He kind of just does whatever he wants. And Ellen reveals that the information coming in from the Western dominance where Set is from is that everything's kind of nuts. He's left a patchwork of half alliances and promises and threats of invasion to hold things together. But... Uh, I guess he's not that good at uh, administrating, or at least uh, keeping things all running without uh, seems like, threats. He seems like one of those guys who uh, is great at attaining power and then terrible at maintaining power. Mm, that's a really good way to put that. And Norton's just like, oh no, you have a good point. Okay. And Alan's like, geez, I wish I could convince everyone else as easily as this guy. 
and Ham, I, I like that Ham's in here kind of trying to help out. Not really doing a great job of it, but just uh, glancing through stuff to see if he can spot anything interesting. Because he's not that, he's not like a scholar. He just likes to philosophize. And there's an interesting moment about uh, where uh, Ellen's like, you know, we should have just gone like you guys suggested in the first place and made an alliance. So that's what the people want. And so he's just like, it's not your duty to do, to do what the people want. And they have kind of an interesting political thing here. Where it's like, a ruler, Ellen's like, a ruler leads by consent of the people. And Zayce so is like, yeah, I agree with that. But that doesn't mean that you can't be you. If they pick you, then you have to do your the best job you can within your own bounds of conscience, basically. Yeah. It, it, it also made me think of a little, this is a little harsher than what Seist is saying. It's like, it's like the men in black thing. It's like a person is smart. People are dumb and you know it. It's like, <laughs> That's so true. That is one of the best quotes. People are dumb, panicky animals and you know it. Yeah. Well, I, I think it just, it's, it's kind of representative of the fact that we don't pass laws by like every law goes up for popular vote. You elect a representative and then they're supposed to do the best job of representing you and your interests. It says it's like, you can't just spend the whole time trying to guess what everybody wants because you're never going to please everybody anyway. So you have to like, you know, just do your best. <laughs> and I like that Vin comes in and goes, you found more books. How many of those things have people written? <laughs> oh, Vin. You have no idea. Oh, it's, you're, you're, you're cute. You. With your book hatred. <laughs> yeah, I wanted, I wanted, uh, I wanted Ellen to be like, "Well, Vin, did you know that people have written books about books, like, <laughs> like commentaries on books, you know?" And she'd be like, "What? Why?" I am outraged by this. Uh, and she, she wants to talk to Ellen about stuff, and she starts off trying to, you know, talk about the the well being poisoned. And he's like, "Oh no, yeah, we already handled that." She's like, wait, what? You, you didn't tell me. So she's kind of put out by that a little bit. But, you know, he's been busy. I don't necessarily fault him. Yeah, and also, like, you know, again, she's a teenager. But also, even in a marriage, it's like you don't you don't have to run every problem by the other person. It's like, I, if I fix this, it's okay. We can talk about it. Or I took care of this. Like, you don't have to worry about it. We're taking care of it. But thank you for your concern. I just feel like she's being a little oversensitive, but she's got a lot going on and a lot of creepy nagging coming from uh, from Zane. So. Zane, yeah, I, I think she just feels like she has to take responsibility for everything, keeping the city safe. And so finding out that something happened without her, she's like, wait, Zane, you guys can solve those problems. I, I, I should be involved here. I'm the bodyguard. She's kind of she's kind of been at Ellen's side, though, for all of the problem solving. And now that. You know, she's not necessarily there for all of it. She's got to be feeling a bit put out as well. And then, yeah, just doubled in with what Zane's been saying to her and then having those insecurities about he's changing, he doesn't need me anymore. This is just another thing to add to that, that he doesn't need my advice even. He's becoming independent and problem-solving on his own now. He's growing, and that's a little bit threatening, which, you know, is probably kind of normal. And Tindwill's uh, kind of grumpy when she finds out that Sazed helped uh, <laughs> write the law, or at least, you know, gave some thoughts on it. And Ellen is immediately like, no, no, you shut your mouth. You don't get to insult Sazed. He's my guest, even indirectly. And she apologized to Ellen, and he's like, no, no, no. You apologize to Sazed, or you get out. 
And so she gets out. <laughs> I she, I like I, I mean it's very interesting to me that she couldn't bring herself to apologize to him. She's just like, no, nah, I'm not doing that. I guess I'll leave. <laughs> I know, Man, right? Fuck this guy. She had no problem apologizing to Ellen, but uh, not Sazed. And then even Sazed is like, you you don't need to do that. I mean, she's she's really probably right. And Ellen's like, no, you shut up too. If I let somebody treat my friends poorly, it's an insult to you and an insult to me. So we're not doing that. <laughs> he's like, I'm decapitated now. <laughs> and I like Sazed doesn't argue with that anymore. He's just like, all right. And he picks up a new book. I don't know that Sazed is used to having, like, friends, and especially not friends who would stick up for him any more than Vin was used to it. And then here comes Vin trying to talk about the deepness, and Ellen's like, yeah, I don't really have time for this right now. I'm I'm busy with important king uh, business. Because Ellen still doesn't think the deepness is a threat. I don't know if she's ever told him any of her theories that she's come out with that we talked to Sazed about, about, the you know, the deepness being the mist and all that. But uh, he's not concerned about that. He's concerned about what's right in front of him at the moment. I guess to be fair to Ellen, at the moment, that is the more immediate threat. Yeah. But, I mean, the other one could go very badly very quickly and soon become the immediate threat. So he probably should have it, you know, on his radar somewhere. But, yeah, I'd like him to give it a little bit more attention than he is. And there is a bit in the annotations about this where Brandon says, the way Ellen treats Vin in this chapter puts some people on edge. And if you're in that group, realize that I wanted you to feel this. And not just for plotting purposes, I just think it's more realistic. People get tired, people have trouble focusing, and people treat even those they love with indifference sometimes. This is particularly bad of people like myself, men who are quick to get focused on one project or another. I've done things just like this to my wife, unintentionally ignoring her because I'm so tied up in my current project. It's not a good thing, but it is natural and normal, and unfortunately it prompts something very important. The return of Reen's whispering voice in the back of Vin's mind. She's been free of him for a long time now, but I thought it appropriate to bring him back. After all, that voice, partially as a representation of her subconscious, was a large part of her character in the first novel. Which is true. I don't know if you guys noticed that uh, her constant companion of Reen's voice from the first book is mostly absent in what we've read so far. Yep. Was not lamenting the loss. Oh, poor Reen. Nobody misses that guy. Did did, did you? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I just got to stand up for him a little bit like Spook. I'm like, oh, poor Spook. It's fine. Spook never beat up his younger sister. Not that you know. That we know of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he might be a horrible brother. We don't know. <laughs> Could you imagine if there's like a another Spook sibling out there and they come together and just start talking in this street slang and oh my uh, god. My worst nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have a sitcom nightmare about Spook and his sister living together just and their misadventures. Spook and other Spook talking to each other. Yeah, Spook <laughs> 1 and Spook, spook 2. It. Yeah, Spook yeah, and Spook, spook it. It. Uh, And then when Vin's just going to leave, and he's like, hey, you might want to go check out the defenses around uh, Set's uh, new... He, he's staying at Keep Hasting. I don't remember if we mentioned that, but that's where Set moved into. So, And then Vin gets outside, and Zane attacks her. And we get... I mean, this is an action scene. He's just which right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's right there. It was it was very abrupt. It's like not even a change in paragraph. It's like Ellen smiled. She got out the window. Zane's right there. Wait, what? I did like that. It sort of became a hang on. Wow, this is actually a fight. For a minute, it wasn't like Vin was like, ah, oh, another sparring match. But he definitely brought something more to the table. And then the fact that he had the Adium as well was like, oh, okay, yeah, he's really trying to 
you know, maybe not kill her at this point, but he was really trying to figure out in a real fight situation if she had any adium. And, you know, I guess for the first time in a while in, in a fight situation, Vin is actually scared. This is what she's been worried about. Um, and to just drop into that, I was like, oh, okay, that, that definitely puts us back on our toes, which was good. Exactly what she's been worried about the entire book, and it just shows up out of nowhere. Yeah. And it's kind of an action scene, like everyone's been asking for, but in a way it's not even, because she can't do anything. We feel how utterly helpless you are if you do not have Adium and the other person does. It's it's mm-hmm. over in about a page. Yeah, it's yeah, she can't she can't land a blow, and he's not even worried as he like breaks her down basically. And at one point she's like, No, I'm not gonna get killed like a trapped rat, but nothing she does makes any difference. And it only ends because he stops. And he's like, oh, you really don't have the Lord Ruler's at him. And so apparently he wasn't trying to kill her, despite the fact that that's what Straff wants him to do. And he tells her, my dad wants me to kill you. And that is where, like, this is, we talked before about Vin just passing over details and glossing over stuff. This was a big one, because Zane says, my father wants me to kill you. Vin knows who Zane works for, mm-hmm. and Still, it takes another page and Zane openly saying it for her to realize that Strap is his father and Ellen is his brother. My, uh, c- come on, he, he said my father. What more do you want, Vin? That never even occurred to me, but that is a really good point. Like, she just glosses right over that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really funny. I, I, I'm just reading that now. Like, <laughs> wow, yeah, you would think that I guess because we knew it didn't occur to me that she didn't know at this point until you get to like five paragraphs later and he mentions it interesting yeah i guess I mean, maybe it's also, just like it's like she's still running on adrenaline from getting her ass handed to her without adium but uh, i don't know yeah she's a little bit distracted if i had just been fearing for my life and then someone went yeah my father wants me to kill you i feel like the more important part of that question at that time is why are you trying to kill me not wait <laughs> who's your daddy <laughs> yeah i guess but her again dad like, could be somebody else like a guy another guy who works for set for all she knows yeah but Seth's, or not Seth, Zane's thing here is he's like, I don't have to kill you. We could just leave together. And oh, he gets the real mopey stuff. It's like, you think because you love Ellen, you can't, you could never love me? I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> fuck Everybody hurts sometimes. Well, no, it's even more emo because he's like, it makes sense. That's the way it's always been. Yeah. And he's like, can't you see the resemblance between us? Who else would Straff trust as his Mistborn? And that's when she twigs to it, is, you're Ellen's brother. And he's like, yep. Ellen doesn't know about me. Ask him about our father's sexual habits sometimes. Sometime. Straff yeah, likes that's mistress. a conversation you want to have. Right. It's like, yeah. so, do you, do, you, do you know how often your dad had sex? Uh... <laughs> well, it's funny, because it is a conversation they have had. So, <laughs> just... Yeah, tr- true. But yeah, I, even Ellen apparently never twigged to the fact that he had all these mistresses to have allomancers. Ellen just thought his dad liked women. Who knew? Although even if he did have illegitimate children somewhere, like Ellen was the only one that was legitimate. So for him as a noble nobleman, it doesn't matter. Like his whole life, it wouldn't have mattered. Yeah. Unless he had illegitimate children with a scar, in which case it might be very important. Because mm. 
that's when the Inquisitors come knocking on your door. True. And I like Vin saying, like, well, you must hate him. And he's like, what? No. I mean, he's never done anything to me. Uh, besides, after I snapped, I became somebody important. Sometimes, however, I do envy him. He has everything, and still it seems to me like he doesn't appreciate it. Don't pity me, woman. If I were Ellen, I wouldn't be missed. And in the annotations, uh, Brandon says, I, I also mentioned snapping here for the first time in this book. It's an important world element that, unfortunately, I think a lot of people tend to forget. Snapping is a thing. Don't forget. Is what he's trying to tell me. <laughs> people snap. Like Michael Douglas. <laughs> and so he came to give her a warning that refugees are on the way. Straff took their stuff and then sent them on to uh, to Luthadel to drain your resources further. And he's like, I mean, hey. It's like, we, should, we shouldn't be surprised by this, but uh, peak Straff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But he's like, hey, remember, think about my offer. You know he doesn't understand you. If you leave, it will be better for both of you. Right, right, right. Think about this man who claims to love you. Uh, it's so teen angst drama. Um, it Oh, well. Man, he was so much cooler when he was just the Watcher. The Watcher? <laughs> when he wasn't talking about this shit. But that is the end of the chapter. Um, she she ends by thinking she still didn't believe him about Ellen. Or he is thinking she still didn't believe him about Ellen, but proof was coming and she would soon see. She would understand what Ellen Venture truly thought of her. So he has a plan. And that is the end of our chapters. Any final thoughts on those three before we move into predicaments? Okay, then. Okay. We will <laughs> let Dak go first. Um, I don't really have much. Um, like, the fact that they have to have dinner with Set. I'm just like, all right, so there's going to be at least a few more chapters of this Politiking um, <laughs> before shit hits the fan. Uh, the, the fact that Colos are nearby means that, like, surely that's got to come to a head soon. And I feel like if the... I'm sort of hoping that the fact that the refugees had to go through Straff's camp to get to Luthadel means that Straff is right in the line of fire of the Coloss. So, like, my hope is that the Coloss would just, like, run straight through his army. Don't think that's actually going to happen, because, like, if I if I can tell that, surely Straff also can. So, like, Straff is going to have uh, countermeasures in place for the Coloss. I don't know what those might be, though. The Coloss are like, I no, feel we like... don't move, you move. <laughs> Maybe maybe Straff just like uh, they're all digging tunnels and they move underground. The Coloss go right over the top towards the city. Uh, um, <laughs> no, I I get the feeling that uh, with Ellen and Set in the same place, maybe maybe for their little dinner, that might be when the uh, the dirty the misting dirty dozen attacks. Like you know, what else can ruin this dinner? Mm. Oh yeah, the third party gets involved and that's when that attack comes because like then again, Straff is not going to miss an opportunity to try and take out two two birds with one stone. So I feel like that's probably where that's going to go. Yeah, but would, I have nothing to support this. I'm just going to go on. Call. Two birds. Yeah. Beyond that, not don't really have much else this week. Okay. Cool. Uh, Joe, what do you have? So we have set in town. Again, it's hard for me to predict things so much as hope for them. So I just hope that he dies swiftly. I just, I don't like set. I just want him out of the picture completely. I just want to get out of Luthadel. I, I hate to be on the side. That's like, I don't like this book. Cause it's not that I don't like the book. I'm just done with Luthadel. I want to get out. 
I want to see something happen. We have been here um, for like two books at this point. So. Right. And like I, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, there's something going on out there that is bigger than what is going on in Luthadel right now. I think the most interesting part of this chapter, what I said before, with this ruin and preservation thing, I'm like, there's something there. And they're so secretive that I feel like the Chandra culture and maybe even their religion, since it's survived for so long, it may be a big key in kind of what's going on in general. If they're predicting some kind of Ragnarok-like event where the humans destroy themselves, you know, who's to say that's not actually what's going to try to play out? So I'm predicting the the eventual oncoming of some world-shattering, possibly ending event that our heroes are going to have to somehow deal with that are going to make all of these problems, these polit- political problems in Luthadel seem really small. Because the thing is for me right now, if the political problems in Luthadel were, if, if there was nothing from outside of the world, there was nothing going weird with the mist, nothing going on with Marsh and Sazed outside of the, or the Inquisitors, if they were just all dead, I feel like maybe I would be more invested in what's happening in Luthadel. But because I know there's this other stuff going on that seems so much larger, I'm just not invested. I'm not. And so I really need, I need them to address the bigger issue outside of what is going on in Luthadel. Uh, So my prediction is that hopefully that will happen. Okay. Fair enough. I don't fault you. Uh, We we are constantly being teased with little hints about uh, the larger uh, ramifications of what's happening. And may continue to be. Who knows? Maybe the entire book will just tease it. You love it. Okay, Jamie, what do you have? So I was having a think a bit about the imposter, and I've I've been rather fond of the theory that Doxon was the imposter. After the discussion in this chapter, I just I'm not so sure. I think that okay. yeah, that's like a next level research from the Chandra. Not to say that they aren't good at it. I just think it was a bit too specific to be something like that. Unless the Chandra could... Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Unless the Chandra could be, like, you know, literally a fly on the wall um, and hear all the conversations. But how would you know that that's the information you were going to need, not something else? You know, you Mm -hmm. don't... I, I don't really know. So... I'm not sure that it could be Doxon, and it made me think about, okay, if you don't want to be an Alamancer, because it would be too obvious to figure out, there's still that question of can they, do they have an ability, can they mimic an ability, even if they're not an Alamancer, could they still do something that maybe would give off a vibe that they they were an Alamancer? We still don't know the answer to that question. My other thought was, is there an imposter? could the bones have been a plant to just get in the heads Ooh. of everybody? So maybe they would be a little bit more careful. I guess they would keep a, a closer counsel. Doesn't mean there's not spies, but maybe maybe the maybe there isn't a Kandra imposter there. Yes, they could be fresh bones. Someone's taken a fresh body or something like that, but not to say they, they maybe they didn't take anyone on the crew. It's just to you know, play mind games 
with them. So I thought maybe – and look, it's, we, we've got people from uh, Set's army and Straff's army in the city anyway, so someone could definitely have done it, you know, maybe a maid. You know, they're a bit nosy. <laughs> maybe they planted the bones themselves. <laughs> you don't know. So that's that was sort of a thought I was having as well. Because that would be if you if you were constantly second guessing everybody, you'd be sort of encouraging a divide from within, and then they're already not the strongest army out there. But if they're not trusting each other, then that's going to cause more problems as well. So that was kind of a thought that I had. I still I'm not sure if that's the way it'll go. It's not so much a pre, uh, prediction for predicaments, but a thought that definitely interested me. And the other things that I was thinking about were, if I can remember what they were. Uh, oh, so sort of what's coming next. So I think they didn't want us to forget about the armies outside, which, you know, makes sense. I don't think the armies will have an opportunity to attack. Oh. Something right. something will happen before we even get to that point, whether it's the Colossus. I think it's a bit obvious for the Colossus to come and, like, just destroy an army. I don't know whether the Colossus would come and drive the outside armies into Luthadel. I don't know that that would work out. Or we, we haven't talked about the mist monsters really in a while. Like we don't know what they're up to outside Luthadel. They were quite far out, but could they be working their way in? Would the mist monsters maybe attack the armies before they got a chance to attack? And that could be something that drives them to go to the well. That could be the, the deep issue that comes out of this. So I think... I think that's that's sort of the direction I think we're going to head soon. I wouldn't be bold enough to say that it's in the next few chapters we're going to read or anything. I think we've still got a little bit to do where we are here. And we've, ha- we've had our sit down with Straff, so I do think we will get our set sit down with set. Our set down, if you will. Um, <laughs> oh, man, I can't talk. <laughs> so I think we still will get that opportunity to meet with that leader and we possibly will even get an opportunity to meet with Jastis when, when the Colossus get closer. If he's got such good control over them, maybe that just represents a third army there rather than coming storming through. But I'm not quite sure that Jastis would prevent the Colossus from destroying Straff's army. But they don't want Straff. They want Luthadel. So, yeah, just they're more thoughts than prediction, I, I guess, um, for this week. But that's kind of where I think we're going. I hadn't even considered if we get a sit down with Strath and a sit down with Seth, then it seems like only Vera that we get to sit down with Jastis, right? That's interesting. Mm. But I, I really love your idea that there's not an uh, that there's no Chondra after all. It's just all been like one giant mindfuck. That'd be great. I, I love this. Mm. It means that then too, you know, the it just say someone did have their Chondra in there, then they also lose their Chondra. So. Not not lose them, they're still a spy, but they also don't have them with them for whatever they would normally do as well. I don't know, but... I think the only thing that argues against that is in the Straff perspective chapter, like, he thought that the Condra spy had sent them... He's like, oh yeah, Zane's Condra spy sent us this information. Mmm, true. True. Uh, but yeah, that's... I, 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 despite that, I would still love it if it turned out to be no Condra. That'd be awesome. The Condra spy could just be a maid. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, they might not have to be, you know, like Vin was thinking and, and, and Dak was thinking before with Demu, they don't have to be on the crew. They just have to be close enough to hear um, and not necessarily 
add to it, but just enough to be able to report back what's going on. That's why the maids keep taking Orsor's food, because mm. one of them is a chondra, and they want to eat the old meat also. That's, yeah, exactly right. They all, all want sense. carrion. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I like, I, I like where this is going. All right. Uh, okay, let's get into, because we have three emails this week, and I want to get through them. The first one is from Angela. This is, uh, Angela is the first person who sent, ever sent us an email, if I remember correctly. But in this, uh, and, and we, in this email, she says, hello, this is Angela, the first one, not the one from last week, because we had another Angela. <laughs> so she wants to specify. She says, as the school year started, I fell further and further behind on reading, and since I'm currently reading at pace with you, that meant I couldn't listen to any episodes. This weekend, I finally had time to sit down and read, and though some of my grading was left undone, I'm now officially caught up. I read 350 pages and listened to seven episodes at 2.5 speed this weekend. And I have to say that I highly recommend this as a form of self-care. Five stars. That is some dedication. Uh, thank you, Andrew. Yeah, 2.5 speed. Do we sound like chipmunks? Can you even understand us? <laughs> <laughs> I've heard people say to listen to like uh, audiobooks at times two speed. Also, how refreshing to be able to read 350 pages in a hit. <laughs> I hadn't even thought about that. Our poor, our poor cast cannot do these things. <laughs> oh. So she says, some thoughts. It's been at least two episodes since someone expressed that your opinions of Spook are unwarranted. Yes, I know you're playing it up, <laughs> but I really enjoy him. <sighs> all the parts that infuriate you just make me laugh. However, I officially dislike Zane and Ariane, so you're welcome to complain about them whenever you like. <laughs> Don't mind if I already did. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Last week's episode, even like, who was it? Somebody, was it Joe that was like, write in, tell us if anyone actually likes Zane. And yeah, I did. That episode hasn't like, come out yet. So no, it hasn't. Be, but <laughs> she's ahead of the game. <laughs> Yeah. If you if you like Zane, I want to hear from you. If you don't like Zane, I don't really want to hear from you. <laughs> He's like, I understand that perspective already. Yeah, I, I get yeah, that. Yeah, well, we're, we're totally I with discuss, you on that. Yeah, I want to discuss people who like him because I'm, I just can't understand it. Uh, okay, she also says, number two, I think we have completely opposite opinions about what elements of the story are interesting. Whenever we're with Ellen or Vin, I'm very happy and motivated to read. The Say's chapters have generally have been generally slow for me. I'm approximately the same age as Ellen, so maybe that has something to do with the difference in opinion. Whenever anyone complains about Ellen, I roll my eyes because I relate to his bookworm self so much. Yeah, I like Ellen. I don't I, dislike Ellen specifically. I like the book guy. Yeah. Yeah. I like. I do actually really enjoy. Honestly, his transformation is probably the most enjoyable thing about what is going on in the political end of this. And his perspective is always interesting politically. And I agree with him most of the time. I like the, his virtues. I actually have completely done like a 360 or sorry, 180 on Ellen from the last book. <laughs> 360. You're yeah. Back I'm back to where I started. Yeah, no, great. I've done a win 180 on <laughs> Ellen. I think, I think he's great. And I honestly think he is the best part of, uh, of the current part of the book that we're in. But I'm a I'm a guy who likes to dive into dungeons and creepy stuff and weird stuff. So the sazed and uh, marsh stuff was just more appealing to me. Uh, but that's just a personal preference thing. But Ellen's great. I like Ellen. Yeah, yeah, Ellen's fine. He's burning. I don't think anyone expected to be saying that when we got to the end of the last book and everyone's like, "Oh my god, they made Ellen king. <laughs> what is wrong with these people?" Well, even, to be fair, did, when at the, uh, go ahead, Deck. I was gonna say just even even then, it's like. 
I don't think any of us re- like particularly disliked him. We just didn't think he was the right man for the job. Mm, okay. And and to be fair, at the beginning of this book, he was not the right man for the job. It's I don't think until Tindwill shows up and starts helping him that he becomes the right man for the job. That's a fair point. It's it's probably quite honestly, it's after he loses the crown in that in the earlier chapter that he actually starts acting like a leader for the most part in what we've seen so far, at least. So that makes sense. But just just wait until the next book. We're 50. What are we now? Fifty three percent of the way through 53 percent of the way through the next book. And you'd be like, man, I like spook. This guy, he's great. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Let's not go nuts here. <laughs> hey, I mean, if if Sanderson can somehow do a big turnaround on Spook, then I'm all for it. But you know, I I reserve judgment. Okay. Uh, she says number three. Are we just gonna skim over the fact that Breeze is manipulating his friend's emotions? Will those feelings last when Ellen is speaking to his father and Breeze isn't around? Ellen needs to be able to cope with the pressure of being a king in a way that he can sustain if he isn't in the presence of his friends. I'm sure he's coming from a good place, but I have some serious concerns. Well, I mean, Breeze wasn't around when he was talking to his dad in the tent. I think that was, like, Ellen's moment to, like, really... Like, yes, Breeze was, like, calming him beforehand, but when he's there, it's Ellen. Like, that that's that motivation yeah. is gone. And I think you're... I think your concern is definitely founded, but I think we have been given an insight into Breeze now from Vin that is very, very has kind of warmed us to him. It's like Breeze, yes, when it's for himself, he's always manipulating because he's a selfish person. But when it comes to his friends, he is constantly trying to help them. That's what he's using his ability for is helping them. So and I think, too, we, we talked about in the last book that when the, he's manipulating the emotions, he's tapping into something that they, they already feel like he's trying to, you know, build that courage and eliminate fear in that. And it creates a memory that then, uh, in this case, Ellen would remember to then take with him and go, you know what, I can do this and I am this. So he doesn't need to be constantly manipulating. It's just giving him that bit of courage to go, yeah, this is this is what I remember and this, this feels good and this feels right and I can do this. So it's kind of built his courage, even though he doesn't have to actually be there manipulating him through the real discussion. Yeah. And another thing I thought about when when kind of changing my perspective on Breeze was I thought to myself, what would I do if I had Breeze's power? It's almost It almost seems like a really heavy burden to have that kind of power and not use it manipulatively. Because if you had the ability to do that, could you really say that you wouldn't use it for your personal gain, even if it was subconsciously? Because we see that it's almost a subconscious action for Breeze to, to soothe. Because he's and, done it so much. <laughs> exactly. Like right. It's a reflex that he – it's a habit that he's been doing his whole life. Uh, so we're assuming he's been – you know, he could – I don't know if there's an age where these manif- these single powers manifest or it's from birth or what, but – it's it's snapping. Remember we talked about. It. Don't forget snapping. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know snapping was for mistings too. I thought it was just for misborn. Oh no no yeah. It, any alamancer gets their powers when they snap. Okay. Well, that's something I didn't know. Okay. So so he snapped or whatever, and and he's using this power. But if you had the power, if I had the power, and I could use it to help my friends and keep my enemies at bay, I can't say that I wouldn't do it. 
I can't say that I wouldn't use it and maybe abuse it. Mm, that's fair. Yeah, I, I'm in the same boat. I, I would probably be using it all the time. I'd probably be Breeze. Maybe not exactly Breeze, but... Yeah. Okay. Uh, and number four, Angela says, I want to give out a shout-out to Angela from last week. I'm very glad that even when my life was crazy, we still had some Angela opinions on the podcast. You brightened, <laughs> your, your email brightened my day. Also, you signed off with wasing to the time of next so naturally... That was my plan as soon as I heard them come up with the catchphrase. That just shows that all Angelos are on the same metaphorical page. Uh, thanks for continuing to be amazing, everyone. I appreciate you guys are continuing to do this throughout such a difficult year. Wasing to the time of next, Angela. Thank you, Angela. And, uh, and, and Yeah, great email. Any Angelas out there? Uh, we knew that was that demographic. Right. <laughs> and uh, I, I like that uh, finding out that you're, you're teaching and grading kids' papers. I know that's especially tough this year, so thanks for putting in so much work there. My wife is a teacher. This is her first yep. year teaching, so I know it gets kind of nuts. What a first year cool. to teach. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So thanks for everything that you do, teachers out there. The kids really need it this year especially. Uh, okay, that was the first email. Then we get one from Jordan, which is entitled Spy versus Spy versus Spy. Uh, morning, folks. Gotta say, I love Dax theory taking a comment from the annotations and spinning it into a whole theory that honestly rivaled Jamie's the Lord ruler is Rashek theory from the first book in terms of weaving hits together. That was, that was Dax Thanks. thing where it's like, wait, maybe the Adium's not real. So he did a good job of that. I agree. I thought it was real. It's just, it's just kind of been used. Yeah. Well, not there and not real now. Not re- There's not really a pile. Yeah. Yeah. Anymore. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's see. Secondly, I very much enjoy the fact that each panelist has latched onto one character as the hidden Chandra. That's true. We 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 get each person kind of picking one one person and going along with it until this week, where people are starting to reconsider. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and finally, he has a uh, Jordan has a comment about. I understand and agree with the normal reading order for Secret History after Bands of Morning, but that's based on being able to read all everything in a relatively short time. This podcast would take at least a year and a half if you want. If you went through just the Era Two books without other Sanderson books, could be longer with other ones. So, I know when Secret History first came out, a lot of people missed the connections between Secret History and Era One, but this seems improved when I talk to people who read the whole series Rapid Fire. And actually, you guys don't know this, but Era Two books are considerably shorter than Era One books in terms of uh, these Mistborn novels. Uh, oh. It'll probably be like half as many episodes for a book. Maybe let. In fact, I think when I when I kind of divided it all out the first era two book would be like eight episodes instead of more like 20 that we've been doing for these so there's a big difference they are shorter books uh, by far but he's right that it would still take a while to get through them even if we weren't doing other ones in between and the next actual novel we're doing in case anyone was wondering after era one mistborn books is elantris so there will be some other stuff in between and honestly uh in terms of understanding of things elantris being his first book we probably should have done first but i love mistborn so much that that just had to be where we started so uh but that's jason jordan says anyway your call in the end i'll listen either way thank you jordan appreciate it and i uh i agree with some of the stuff that i didn't read that you wrote because uh, it was too spoilery but there's some funny things happening and our our team here is really astute about some things you are correct uh, just a curiosity: Was Elantris written before the Mistborn books, or yes. after the Era One? Yeah, Elantris was his first published book. 
And uh, so it was written uh, before Mistborn. Mistborn, I think, was written right after that, or The Final Empire, rather. It was written right after that. And it gets weird because after he wrote these first two books, he got tapped to finish The Wheel of Time by Robert Jordan after Robert Jordan died. And so there's uh, it, there's a whole era in there where he's doing this other completely different thing also. Gotcha. Which is actually, I guess, right about this time, now that I think about it, the second Mistborn book, uh, if I remember right. But anyway, and uh, mostly, well, especially for the early stuff, the order that the books came out in is kind of chronological in terms of the universe of the Cosmere. So Elantris technically happens before the Final Empire, but as they're on different planets, and it, it's not really relevant which one happened first. Okay, sorry. So third email is from Michael. And he says, hey, Data, my name is Michael, listening in from New York City, love the show, and have been listening to it since the beginning. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, I have a few messages for everyone involved, but I'll start with you because you this can't probably can't be read on air. Oh, right, right. OK. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it? Just cut that. Oh, cut that out. Why are we talking about this? <laughs> OK, he says, I thought we'll it fix might it in be, post. I thought it might be cool if you guys had a place for listeners to make their own predictions on who would guess what and discuss without the others being able to see. I'm, I'm especially excited to see who picks up on something from the next book. Great job moderating, mm -hmm. as always. Love hearing the discussions. So I have considered that before, like maybe making like a private Facebook group that fans could come in and discuss stuff where the other three would not get to be members of that Facebook group. So there'd be no way to risk them seeing it. I don't know if uh, that's something that a lot of people would be interested in, but we could totally look at that if uh, more than just yeah. Michael is interested in having a discussion. Anyway, that's I think I've even mentioned that on the podcast before. That's something that I've thought about, but we'll we'll see if there's more people uh, than that they're interested i'll i'll look into how that might work uh, to joe chin up you seem to get very defensive most episodes whenever spook comes up but we don't hate you for your opinions. <laughs> just because we like spook doesn't mean that we don't enjoy your commentary on it oh um well to those of you who say chin up to me because i'm defensive i say um i hate you <laughs> oh. no there you I'm, go yeah, Joe hates yeah. all fans. Uh, that's not what I said. First. Yep, pretty yeah. sure that's what I heard. <laughs> also, they're not fans, they're listeners. Oh, oh, right, thank you, sorry. Anyway, no, I... Look, I really hate Spook, let's just get that out there. If I'm being defensive about not hating Spook, it's really because I hate him really, like, a lot. So, uh, please, keep telling me, uh, keep telling me how much you love him, because I love to hate him. <laughs> okay. And then, finally, to Dak and other girl, honestly not sure how she spells Aww. Jamie. Well, he says because he's not sure how you spell Jamie, and th there's a Y and two E's okay. in case anyone is wondering. <laughs> uh, how it sounds. He says, love you guys too, and have an Australia question. I was playing Risk the other day, and I lost a 12 versus 3 going from Western Australia to Eastern Australia. This is obviously extremely bad. Is there any Australian stereotypes that might explain the weakness of Western Australia, or am I just a horrible dice roller? Uh, not off the top of my head, I think Western <laughs> Australia is just way more isolated. So They're just so uh, far away. <laughs> yes. They, they, they don't like us. I know, I know that. <laughs> well, don't, uh, Jack, don't alienate them. Uh, no, anyone in Perth who is listening is just nodding along, just going, yeah, it's true, the East Coast sucks. It's kind of like you've got, you've got so many states and cities across the east, and then it's like just the western half of Australia is Western Australia. It's like, 
yeah, it's like the, the entire western half of the country is one state, and it's huge, and it's just full of desert. Oh, so like uh, Nevada. Yeah, sure. Yeah, except Nevada's populated. Most of Nevada, not really populated. Mostly in like Las Vegas and Reno. Sorry to any Nevada uh, listeners who don't live in one of those cities, but you know I'm telling the truth. Yeah. So. I mean, it's not the capital, Carson City. Come oh, Carson City is not huge, though. It's all, now we're going to look on. We're, we're going to compare. We're going to look at the oh, population of Western looking Australia. Looking at the numbers again. Here we go. Numbers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, so the population is 55,000 in Carson City. So uh, That's smaller than our city, I think. Smaller than where we live, yeah, uh, which is not a big city. So now hold on. No, West- it's not. Western Australia population. 2.5 million for like one whole half of the country, whereas, uh, hold on, let, let's see. How many of those are in Perth? It says. The size of it, too. Yeah, it is It is really big. Oh, okay. So this, the, the capital city of Perth, according to Wikipedia, has a population of 2.05 million. So almost all of the Western Australians live in Perth according to this. Wow. And it is... This uh, has been... Go ahead. One mil- <laughs> about a million square miles. This has been the Geography Minute with the Sandra Lynch Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you need, like, a jingle there. So, like, everyone can get, like, their own half a square mile. Yeah. I don't know how big that actually is. I feel like it's big. <laughs> anyway, that was our final email. I hope, Michael, you found out many interesting things about Australia <laughs> in answer to your question. And thank you for emailing. If anyone else wants to send us an email, thesanderlanch at gmail.com. Or you can tweet at us, at thesanderlanch. Or you can find us on Instagram or Facebook. It's thesanderlanch in all of those places with an E at the end. For next week, I'm, 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 I'm doing William Shatner now. Uh, <laughs> for next oh, week, next week. <laughs> we are reading. Mr. Spock. We're not reading Mr. Spock. That was that was not true. For next week, we're reading 35, 36, and 37. That is another, another three chapters, and there's some uh, there's some interesting, meaty content in some of these chapters. So uh, we'll see. 37? In a row? <laughs> well, we are reading 35, 36, and 37 in a row. Yes, that's, uh, that, that is the thing. So read those. Come back next time and see us. Music by Miracle of Sound. No music by Joe this week. The, no. The, the spook Hope you enjoyed that. Ready yet. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm supposed to write a spook rap. Yep. I, you know, it's easy to get distracted. <sighs> yeah, man. I'm, I'm playing a D&D campaign. I got to write a spook rap. <laughs> it never ends. Clearly, the, all the listeners who adore spook should try and write this rap and submit it. Fan submitted content. There you go. Yeah. Maybe. If you want me to, uh, if you want to submit a spook rap, that you want me to rap. Uh, don't advise it, but you can. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't, 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 don't let him rap it. He's too white. <laughs> yeah, I am pretty white, even though I'm half not white. I'm pretty white. Between the two of us, he's far more white. It's true. That's true. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm currently working on writing a, a fan fiction for the Dresden Files fan fiction contest. So, you know. We've all got our burdens. Yeah. Uh, so, next week, 35, 36, 37. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please come back next week. Please, please. Uh, you, you don't have to if you really don't want to. But, no, you know. it, it, it's, it's okay. I won't make you. <laughs>
wasn't to the time of next, everyone. And we try, try, try to keep a little 